Praise the Lord. Let's turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 3, verse 7. I am so glad to be back. I want to preach to you double because I was gone last week. So just buckle up for the next four hours. Y'all ready? Or should I say saddle up? Y'all think I'm crazy, but I am crazy for Jesus. Do you have to be crazy like me to be crazy for Jesus? No. You can be crazy in your own way. I'm just excited. I just got to look at you guys. I was on the plane. and You know what I did on a plane back? I wrote a letter to my daughter. Yeah, on the plane back, I said to myself, she's 14 months old. We're going to forget so many of these memories. I'm going to write a letter. And I wrote a letter to her out of my heart for her. And I said, Bethany, you love to play around. You like to eat lint off the floor. You're so cute. We have to take it from you. Then you cry. She like cries. I'm like, trust me, you're going to thank me for this when you're older. And then you know what I began to think is how God feels about every one of us. Do you know that this Bible is a letter to you from God? And do you know that he thinks about you? You know, so often in this world, as it gets bigger and more technologically advanced, we get lost in the crowd. You get that feeling, you know, it's like you're on Facebook and you're getting your friends and like you have 10 friends, 15 friends, and you're hanging out with them. And like they do like their little like status update. They're like, I'm eating macaroni and cheese watching my favorite TV show. And you're like, cool. But then all of a sudden you get like 100 friends. And how many know the status updates you just don't even care about so much anymore? Like you're just scrolling through them like, like, unlike. Like, oh, I don't care about that. Hide this guy. I don't want to see them anymore. And so many times we get this idea of like, we're just a number. But we're not just a number. God knows us. And he loves us. And he knows every single one of the hairs on our head. And the Bible says he cares about us. And he has so many thoughts to prosper us that if you were to number them, they outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore. I want you to look with me in Mark chapter 3, verse 7, and I want you to know this, God. Today's title is Know Jesus and Make Him Known. Somebody say, Know Jesus. Come on, Know Jesus and Make Him Known. You know, I want you to know the God of the Bible today. Like I know my daughter, like I know about her, I want her to grow up and know about me. You know, God loves you. That's a given. And if you're doubting that today, look to the cross. If you doubt God's love, look to the cross. There is no story like it, my friends. He wasn't a hero dying for good people. He died for sinners. He died for us in our wickedness, in all of the debauchery, the drunken revelry of all the Mardi Gras out there. You know what? He loves them. How do I know? Look to the cross. He shed his blood for them. He shed his blood for you. You need to know him today. Somebody might say, oh, well, I know he knows. I know he loves me. I just, I just know. Well, do you let him change your life with that love? Do you let God dictate your life because he loves you? You know what? My daughter could just say, yeah, I know. I know my dad loves me. And not clean her room and not listen to our rules. But how many know that would break my heart? My friends, are you breaking God's heart today? Or are you putting a smile on his face? Somebody say, know Jesus and make him known. Look at Mark chapter 3, verse 7. You're going into the lives of the the disciples, the first apostles. About 2,000 years ago, Jesus walking the shores of Galilee. He withdrew with the disciples to the lake, and a large crowd followed from Galilee. When they heard all that he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Edomia, and regions around the Jordan and Tyre and Sidon. Now look at verse 9. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready. And because the people were crowding around him, go down to verse 10 brother for he had healed so many that the diseases were the people with diseases were pushing towards him just to touch him when the evil spirit saw him they fell down before him cried out you're the son of god but he gave him strict orders not to tell who he was somebody say jesus showed up when jesus showed up sick people were being healed demons were being cast out lives were being changed this is how i say shikaboomba somebody say shikaboomba Woo! You'll get it if you don't. Now keep going down, brother. That's what he told the demons. Don't tell anybody. Shh, keep it on the down low. He didn't want them to all go out there and say, Jesus is in town. Now look, verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside, called to him those he wanted. Somebody say he wanted them. And they came to him. 
See, if he calls you, you got a choice. You can come or not come. He called these gentlemen, and they came. Verse 14, he appointed 12, designating them apostles. That means founders. These were going to be the CEOs of the church. Now, why did he pull these guys out? Why did they come? Here it is. Number one, that they might be with him. And number two, that, they, that he might send them out to preach. And to have authority to drive out demons. And these are the twelve. Simon, James, Peter, John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew. Does anybody even know what happened to Bartholomew? He gave his life for Jesus as a martyr. Thaddeus, Simeon, Judas. Everybody say this. Know Jesus. And make him known. Go back to that verse 14, my brother. I want you to see it. He called them. He said, I want you, Dylan. I want you, Hosolito. I want you, Josh. Come up here. And it says, they came. And then he said, I'm doing this so you can be CEOs. You can be a part of my church. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to be with me. And I want you to go out and preach. The way I say it today is to know Jesus and to make him known. What's more important than that? You see, my friends, God today is calling you. And you have a choice right now. Do you want to come? You don't have to come. You didn't have to come to church. Now that the Super Bowl is over, you could find something else to take your time. You could make excuses. You could be like the countless thousands today that are putting things before God. But you came. Now the next question I want to ask you is do you want to be with Jesus? Do you want to spend the rest of your life with him? Some of you might say, Pastor, I've been following him for years. I've been following him for 14 years personally. But I still ask myself that question every day. Joe, are you willing to go with Jesus? And I answer back, yes, I want to go with Jesus. Because how many know I got married to my wife on June 9th, 2005, June 19th? I was preaching so good. And something told me, don't go there. You're not sure of it as my face is turning around. You're not sure. But I said, I'll go there. So it was June 19th. Was it 2005? Okay. Oh, it's tough. Pray for me. Pray for me. So, when I got married, June 19th, 2005, how many know I've had to make a decision every day to stay married? Every day I make that decision. Do I want to go with my wife out or do I want to find a girlfriend? Do I want to look at pornography? You see, I can't take it for granted and say, oh, I made a commitment five years ago. No, every day there has to be a renewing of that commitment and a dedication to that commitment. Are you with me? And the same thing is in your walk with God. You can say, yes, I love God. I want to be with God. But are you with Him every day? Are you pursuing Him with a passion to fulfill your purpose? Somebody say, know Jesus and make him known. Now, I want to talk to you about how you can know Jesus. And if you haven't joined the 101 book and getting into the first part of our vision, Connect, I want to remind you of what's in there and those who have already done it. Here's three ways to get to know Jesus. Number one, read your Bible. Number two, pray. Number three, go to church. You all got that? You need to read your Bible if you want to know about Jesus. There is no way that you can grow close to Jesus without reading His Word. You have to read His Word. You have to set aside time every day where you say, I'm going to learn about Jesus. God, help me learn about you as I read this Bible. You know, I used to, I was a high school dropout on drugs. I used to read it with a dictionary. There's nothing wrong with that, friends. I used to ask people around me, hey, what does this mean? What does this mean? Number one, read your Bible. Number two, pray. You've got to take time to pray, to talk to the Lord. Relationships are built on communication. Somebody say communication. Come on, communicating. It's not just talking. It's just not coming up to Jimmy, asking him all he can give me, okay? It's not just saying, dear Jesus, I need a new car and a new house and new friends and a little of this, a little of that. No, it's saying, Jesus. I am listening. What are you saying? Okay, God, I'm going to work on that. God, help me with that. God, change that. And then, God, this is what is in my heart. Communication both ways. Somebody say prayer. 
The last thing, going to church. Going to church is when you come into congregation of other Christians and you're encouraged by what they're saying and what they're doing and you find leadership there. It's like a team and there's a coach and there's players and there's people all interacting together. And I've never seen a one-man football, a one-man football team win the Super Bowl. I've never seen a one-man baseball team win a World Series. And I've never seen a one-person Christian be successful. Now listen, I'm not the Pope nor the court Cardinal or the Bishop, but I need to tell you something. You've got to be a part of a church. And, and I don't need you to confess a sin to me, but you need to confess your weakness to somebody so they can pray for you. Because MC Hammer used to say, I got to pray just to make it today. And sometimes when you're praying, you don't have faith. So you've got to say, man, pray for me. Jesus, I need help. Lord bless them, be with them. How many of you just know what I'm talking about, the church? Now, if you said to me, Joe, I want to be your friend, but your wife, I don't like her so much. How many know we ain't friends anymore? How many know if you came to my door and you're like, hey, Joe, let's hang out, but tell her to stay where she's at. I'd be like, boy, you better get out this door right now. (coughs) My wife is where I'm at. Are you with me? So many people say, I love God, but I don't like his church. I hate church. It's boring. Well, find a good church because whenever you talk about church, you know who you're talking about? The bride of Christ. Jesus called it his bride. You better not be messing with his bride. Amen? Now, that's the introduction. Are you ready for the message? Intimacy. Go to John 6, verse 66. You see, I want to talk about something other than what's in the books. I want to talk about something other than that's obvious. You know Jesus by reading your Bible, praying, and going to church. But if you would ask me over 14 years of serving the Lord, what really has defined my walk with God? It would be intimacy. Somebody say intimacy. You see, intimacy is you being close to someone to the point where you have no more boundaries or barriers. Think about that. You see, right now, you have boundaries in your chair. Some of you are like real picky. You don't want anybody to go across that little line. You know what I'm saying? And if somebody's little elbow goes there, that's a problem. And it's like going to mess with you all service. Some of you are like me on the airplane. You claim an armrest. And if somebody goes for that, it's going to get on. I told the guy next to me, I said, you better watch out. Once you raise your arm, I got that armrest. He raised it up. I said, I told you. I got that. I got both my armrests now. I said, I'll be nice. I'll give it to you. No, I got it. You see, we have boundaries, boundaries, but intimacy says no more boundaries. Using the relationship with my wife. You know, when we sit on a couch, you and me, we're going to sit kind of separate. You know what I'm saying? You're going to have your space, I'm going to have my space. How many know when my wife sits down, there are no boundaries? She's going to be all up on my space, putting her arm around me, laying on me, big old pregnant belly, can't hardly breathe. You know what I'm saying? That's intimacy. Got a king-sized bed, but I have nowhere to sleep. My wife comes and takes the whole spot. I got this one little inch right here. Come on, baby, just let me sleep. Then she gets mad when I hit her, when I sleep, when I hit her. I'm like, you are all over me. What do you think I want to do? You're right here. How can you get mad? Then she's wondering why I'm sleeping on the couch. Think about it. Now there's two of you sleeping kitty corner across the bed. But that's marriage. There are no boundaries. Let me tell you something, kids, with your parents. There are no boundaries. That closet is their closet. They want to walk in there and see what you got going on. That's their closet. My mom, I used to come home, my mom holding my cigarettes. Mom, where'd you get them? Nothing in my underwear drawer. I don't care. It's my underwear drawer. See, intimacy is something that comes when there's trust. Now, when it comes to your relationship with God, you have got to get to a point where you say, God, there's no boundaries. You can have all of me. You don't look at yourself like a three-bedroom house, and you don't say to God, well, God, you can just have this bedroom. You know what bedroom we normally want to give to God? It's called the bedroom of our troubles. We say, God, come on in. God, I need you in my life. And here you go, God, you can stay in this bedroom right here. And God, this is the bedroom of my troubles. This is when I feel bad. This is when somebody dies in my life that I care about. This is when I don't have money to pay my bills. And God, you can stay right here. Whenever I need you and I'm in trouble, I'll meet you right here. But God, God, don't come into this bedroom because this is my private life. God, this is my personal life. God, this is where my friends are. Oh, and God, you can't come in this one because this is my dreams. And this is my room where I keep all of my hopes and my future. No, 
A true love for God is say, God, open house. You go where you want. God, take my dreams. God, take my friends. Take my family and take my troubles. I want to be intimate with you. No boundaries. Nothing holding back, Jesus. You got the key, opens all the doors, check under the bed, go in the closet. I love you, Jesus. I want you to see this in John chapter 6, verse 66. The disciples got a little discouraged and people started leaving Jesus. Starting in verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Can you imagine turning your back on Jesus? People turned their back on Jesus. Jesus looks to the twelve and he says, do you want to leave also? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? We believe you have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. You have to get to a point in your relationship with God, it doesn't matter who does it. Or who doesn't, you will. Imagine imagine right now, the illustration. I'm preaching, people start walking out the door. Now there's only 12 of us left. And instead of just saying, come on guys, let's, let's hold it together, man. You're not going to leave, are you? No, but I look at you and say, hey, you all want to go too? That's what was happening. And Peter, with the heart of passion, he said, Jesus, I ain't got nowhere else to go. You're it. I believe you are the Holy One of God. You have the words of eternal life. That's intimacy, my friends. It's when you come to the place where you say, if God is for me, it doesn't matter who's against me. When God is with me, I can do all things. You see, when I think of this intimacy, I'm reminded of all the things that I personally have watched in my family. And I've watched my parents go through hard times, but I've never watched them turn their back on God. And I want to encourage you to have a legacy in your life where the people around you say, hey, man, they may switch jobs. They may be in a different apartment. Things may go crazy in their life, but they'll never leave God. Look at them keeping their faith. You see, God is looking for people that will stick by him through thick and thin. I can tell you, I've read this Bible front to back, and it never promises you a raise every six months in the American dream. It never promised you that you wouldn't lose people in life. It never promised you you wouldn't have a flat tire. I want to ask you a question. When all hell breaks loose, will you still want Jesus? Or are you here just for the free ride, the pony show, and the balloon puppets? Are you here for that, the circus, or are you here for Jesus? You see, the most important thing you can do in life is make a resolution. I will follow Jesus. I will stick by his side. Somebody say intimacy. Go to Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. An old southern preacher said, if loving Jesus is wrong, I don't want to be right. Oh, y'all, y'all don't get that, huh? Do I got to get the keyboarder up here? If loving Jesus is wrong, friends, I don't want to be right. It's an old southern song, but it makes sense to me today. I want to follow Jesus. Paul, the apostle, think about this guy, had two PhDs, followed the religious path of his day, was a scholar, made his living off of teaching people what he knew. Look what he says in chapter 3. Look at it. Starting in verse 4. Though I myself have many reasons for such confidence, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. He's going to brag about himself. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. He's saying, man, I was the man in church. I had this thing down. Now look at verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Oh, come on, that's intimacy right there. When you get to the place that says, I'll count everything as a loss just to know Jesus. Let's just think about this. Come on. If he's really who he said he was, is he worth it? Now, come on. If he is the God of glory, is he worth it? I'm not talking about some Santa Claus Jesus on Christmas. I'm talking about if he really raised the dead, if he really walked on water, if he really created this universe in six days, if he really gave you a brain to think with, and he has angels around his throne right now, and he says, I still want you to come and be with me. Is it worth it? To be with Jesus and to count everything you have as a loss. I just heard a story about a millionaire that was uh, investing all of his money in companies. And he began to realize the emptiness of just being in corporate America. And he began to just 
drink and, and do drugs. And he traveled to San Francisco and he met a young lady and she was an artist. And they began sharing life together and just kind of living as hippies. And, and one day she said, I'm going to go on a journey for Jesus. And she said, I'm going to go look for, uh, not Jesus, for God. I'm going to go all over the world and look for God. He said, he was a backslider. He said, you don't have to do that. He said, you can just call on Jesus. He said, I know that. She said, no, i got to go to India, and i got to go to China. And so she took all of these road trips and journeys. And when she came back, she said, I'm still empty on the inside. Here's this backslidden businessman living like a hippie. He says, look, man, my, my parents told me about this. I'll tell you what to do. Just call on Jesus, man. That's the one. If you want him, he's the one. He leads her in the sinner's prayer. He's not even saved. He's not even saved. Leads her in their sin. This is how you do it. Just call on his name. Repent of your sin. She gets saved. I'm not talking saved. She gets saved. She then tries to get him saved. He says, now I don't want you to become a religious nut. I don't want it. He goes out and keeps partying. Eventually, one day, a few years later, she calls him up and says, look, Bob, let's call him Bob. He says, Bob she says, Bob, you have got to get Jesus. This is the only answer. At that moment, he was contemplating suicide. She called at the right time. He accepted Jesus. They got married. And for the last 20 years, they've used all of their wealth to take ships to places like Haiti. That's why I heard about it. To places all over the world. Because why? He counted everything as he had as a loss. You see, those who are still living for money, listen to me, you don't have enough of it yet. Because when you have enough of it, you'll realize it won't satisfy you. When you're living for sex and drugs, you haven't had enough of it yet. Because the people here who have lived for sex and drugs and money, who had all of it, they can tell you there's no different than having a dollar than a million dollars, my friends. It still is, at the end of the day, emptiness in your soul. Look at Paul. He was all of that and then some. But he said, whatever was to my profit, I now count as a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing. Listen this man preached the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ come on are you willing to let go of what's in your hand to get what's in God's are you willing to embrace him with everything inside of you and say God I want to know you I want to know the one who put the stars in the sky the sun upon this universe who put me upon this earth who knows my beginning from my end and who died for my wickedness that I might live righteously God I want to know you I want to know you I don't care what people tell you today in universities. Our God is alive and He answers those who call on His name. He's still here today, my friends. Know Him and know Him in an intimate way. Put down the boundaries, the borders, and the, and the things you have that block God out of your life. And just say, God, here I am, a blank canvas. Put your art in, on, on my life. Paint a picture for me to live by. Oh, God, I'm a blank book. Give me the words, God, to give me purpose. You see, God will fill your life today, my friends. The second thing I will tell you today about knowing Jesus is you'll be obedient to Him. Go to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. Knowing Jesus means to be intimate with Him. Another thing is to be obedient to Him. Somebody say obedient. You see, God is looking for people that have more than just an emotional experience. Oh, I love Jesus. I'm so spiritual. Well, if you're so spiritual, you're going to keep His commands. Amen? It's not just about being spiritual. It's about keeping God's commands. It's about obeying Him. And it still means thou shalt not. It's not thou shalt maybe. On tax season, thou shalt not lie. Hello? It still means thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not have covetousness. That means to be jealous. Thou shalt obey your parents. I'm preaching. Come on, I got some mama saying amen. Look at Acts chapter 7. Moving on to chapter 9. You just had to look at chapter 7. Just look at it. There it was. Now moving on to chapter 9. Look at what happens with Paul. Look how he got saved, man. This guy is intimate with God. He says, I want to give it all to God. Now watch how he gets saved. 
Chapter 9, verse 1. Paul was breathing out threats. You know Paul killed Christians? He hated Christians. So if you think today you're a bad man, Majama, think about this guy. He was killing Christians. That's what he was doing for the Jewish people in the time of the Roman government when they were persecuting us. He's a man that was going out arresting Christians. Keep going. Verse 2, and he asked for letters of the synagogue, Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's another word for the, the church, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now, on his way to Damascus, on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He said, Lord, who are you? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go to the city, and you will be told what to do. How many know if you saw a light that knocked you off your horse and then started talking, you would probably listen to do what it told you to do? Yes, sir. You got it. How high? How fast? I'm getting there, boss. But that's not the example I want to give you. Because that's obedience out of an experience. Here's another man in the same story that didn't have the experience but had to be obedience. Keep going. Now you got this man in verse 10, Ananias. Somebody say Ananias. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask him for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. He had a vision of a man coming to him named Ananias and placed his hand on him and restored his sight. Lord, now think about this. This guy was killing and arresting, arresting Christians. That's what Saul was doing. Now God shows up to Saul, I mean shows up to Ananias, and says, Ananias, go to Saul's house. Imagine that. That's like our underground churches in China, and there's these Muslims coming to kill them, or communists, and then God's saying, hey, go to the communist house. Just go to the house. Are you all getting this? Come on, you've got to read the Bible to read the Bible. You've got to understand this. Now look what he says, Lord. Let's have a little talk here for a minute. Uh, I've heard some reports about this man. And all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, Jesus. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all of us and all those who call upon your name. Uh, so, Jesus, that's not a good idea. Now watch. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. Come on, somebody say go. That is the heart of obedience right there. This man is whom I'm chosen as an instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles, their kings, and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now look at this. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. What is obedience when God tells you to do things that are so crazy? You go. Yes. Let me give you an example of this right now. When I started planting these churches by God's grace, you know, around the nations, it was cute. When it was India, Mexico, we stopped in Puerto Vallarta. Remember that? Like, that was a tough mission trip, y'all, okay, going to Puerto Vallarta. But anyways, that was kind of easy. But I had made a decision in my heart. Whatever nation contacts us, we'll go. How many know when Pakistan contacted us, me and Jesus had a little talk? Jesus, let me just talk to you for a minute here. We're fighting in Pakistan. They're beheading us in Pakistan and putting the videos on YouTube. God, let's try Hawaii. Let's try Bahamas. Cuba? Haiti. But how many know I got to go? What is God asking you to do that sounds crazy? You see, God may be saying, end a relationship. And you may be saying, God, that's, that's nuts. I've only known this relationship my whole life. But God says, no, you've got to do it. God may say, go down to go up in your job. He may say, do this instead of that. And you're thinking, well, if I do this, I'll get a better position. But God says, no, go down, and then you'll go up. Sometimes we hear ideas from God, and we don't listen to them. You know why? Because they don't add up in our brains. Sometimes, my friends, God will tell you something that your cantaloupe brain can't compute. You'll try to figure it out, okay? And it just won't make any sense. Just like God telling Ananias, go to the man who is wanting to kill you. Go to his house. Here's his address. He's, he's expecting you. And God says, now go. 
You see, obedience, my friends, is not just the easy times. It's those times when you feel that I don't understand. Maybe it's coming to church and you don't feel like going to church. God says go. Maybe it's being a part of a small group. Maybe it's just going out witnessing. Maybe you are so scared. You are The dickens get scared out of you. And you're just out there and you're scared. But God says go. How many know when the Mardi Gras people went, they had to go? You see, my friends, knowing Jesus is not just saying, I know Jesus. It's a life of intimacy, and it's a life of obedience. Would you stand up with me today? Part two will be preached next week, Lord willing. Will be how to make him known. Lilani, would you come to the keyboard, please? How do we know Jesus? The basic principles, read your Bible, pray, and go to church. But what does that look like every day of your life? It looks like intimacy. It looks like you saying, God, I'll forsake everything to know you. What else does it look like? It looks like obedience. I want you to think about the story of a man named Timothy. And I shared it at Mardi Gras, but I want to share it with you. Timothy is the young man you find in the Bible. He loved the Lord. Paul took him on a missionary journey. They started traveling, preaching the gospel. Eventually, Paul gets captured and arrested and put to death for his faith in Jesus. Timothy still pastors his church in Ephesus. And there was a carnival that came by once a year. And you know what God said? Go preach at that carnival. And as Timothy went out, he's an older man now. He began to preach, hey guys, you need to turn away from this wickedness. You need to turn to God. You know what the people did to him? They beat him and drug him through the city and killed him. You see, Christianity, my friend, cost Jesus his life. It cost disciples their lives. It cost the disciples of the disciples their lives. But in Mark chapter 3, verse 7, he said, I call you unto me. If you want to know me, this is what it costs. He said, if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. I remember asking one time a missionary, how do you live in Mozambique? How do you do what you do? She said, I've already counted my life as a sacrifice. It's not about me anymore. During the time of Nazi Germany, Corrie Tin Boom brought people into her house at the risk of her being killed. She brought in Jews and the persecuted people. And at the end of the World War II, she was free and she came to America. Where do you think she went? Do you think she got a beach house in Florida? She said, I will make it my life ambition to go to all the other persecuted nations around the world. She said... There was a time in the upheaval someplace in Africa where they had to evacuate the missionaries and something in her heart said this will be the last time you'll see them. And she preached a message about knowing Jesus and never turning your back on him. Most of that congregation was killed for their faith in Jesus after she left. And you know what she said in her book? She said that most Christians live for what they get out of Christianity. She said, but I want to live to give back to Christianity. Think about that. I know God loves me. You know that. You didn't have to come to church for that. I mean, maybe it's good to be reminded. But I want to ask you a question. Do you know him? Do you know him? Could I say you and Jesus are like this? Why did you tell us missionary stories, Joe? Because I wanted to show you. There's people who have died just to be close to him. No boundaries. No borders. Another story just coming to my mind from the Holy Ghost right now. Five Moverian missionaries, all young men, had never been married. God said to them, join a slave ship and preach to the slaves. Imagine that, joining a slave ship. They knew when they got on that slave ship, they would be treated as slaves and they would never see their family again. But God told them they went. My friends, what is it costing you today to know Jesus? What, an hour to pray? What, that's, that's too much to ask? Well, you really have to keep up with, you know, 
ESPN that much? You, you really are that important? You're the Lee Iacocca, the President of the United States. You can't even make an hour for God? Come on. What does it take in your life? What, pray? Read your Bible? My friends, I was going to present to you all these statistics, but, but I didn't want to bore you. But there are so many statistics. Let me give you some just at the end because I don't want to bore you, but I think it will make some sense right now. You're like ten times more likely to spend time on the Internet than you are to read your Bible this week. You're 20 times more likely to watch TV than you are to pray. You are a hundred times more likely to talk on the phone and to have fellowship with your friend than you are to come to church and to go to a prayer meeting. Prayer meetings are the lowest attended services. Most Christians only pick up their Bible for five minutes one time a week. And the only time they pray is before they go to bed. So that's our God. That's what He gets. If I did that to my wife, I wouldn't be married. These disciples were chosen for a reason. And when Jesus said, go out and make other disciples, I'm here to represent that to you. And I'm sorry if it steps on your toes and it makes you feel like, well, hey, this is a personal thing, Pastor. It's just supposed to be between me and God. No, it's not. Not when it comes to the church. God wants more from us. And it broke my heart being out there in Mardi Gras, hearing all the people that say, yeah, I know God, I know God. Yeah, but are you intimate with Him? And are you obedient to Him? You know no more God than I know the man on the moon. Come on, my friends. God deserves more than that. God deserves more. Listen to me. I'm a happily married man that now knows my anniversary, but I'm happily married with a beautiful child, and God deserves more than my own family and my own children. Why? Because He gave it to me. He gave it to me. How ungrateful it would be right now, my friends. If somebody gave you a gift, let's say it was a gift on a motorboat. They gave you a motorboat, and they said, here it is. It's yours, it's yours, it's yours. And you wouldn't even take them for a ride on it. Come on, man. God gave us a life. And he said, know me. He's calling you. And he's calling you to a deeper place. My goal for this church is us to know God more than we know anything. If Paul the Apostle said, everything that I've achieved, I've counted as nothing, how much more us? If that millionaire guy said, I'll give it all away just to live my life for God. If presidents used to get on their knees before their, you know, before their executive meetings, if they still swear on this out of respect, how much more should you and I say, it's all about God? We put it on our dollar bill, but yet we trust in the dollar bill. It says in God we trust. It's not your dollar, my friend. It's God we trust. It's God. I put my trust in Him. And I thank God that this nation is seeing what it's like not to have anything. Because when I go to India, when I go to Mexico, it's not big houses that make a family, my friends. It's not fancy cars and 65-inch TVs. It's knowing God. It's knowing that He loves you. It's knowing that He cares for you. And it's knowing at the end of the day that your children know the God of the Bible and are ready to meet Him at any moment. Eternity has at stake here. Eternity, my friends. You and I have eternal souls. Eternal soul, my friend. What would you give for that? There are people in hell right now begging for another chance. They're begging for to hear one more time, and you're here today, friends. Know God. Know Him. He's worth it. I've never seen Him disappoint anyone. God, I thank You today. Lord, I thank you for passion in my soul today, God. I preached all week, God, to sinners on a street, but you brought me to the bride of Christ. You brought me to your children this morning, God, and I gave it all I had. Now, Holy Ghost, touch hearts. Touch those that need to hear it, O oh God, and cause them to respond, O oh God. Take away, God, the lies of this world, God. Oh God, it's not money. It's not fortunes and fame, oh God, it's knowing you. It's knowing Jesus, the one who died for us. The one who loves us when no one else does. The one who can touch the deepest part of our soul. Oh God, I pray we would all know you more. May it become more than religion. May it become our heart cry. 
just in an attitude of prayer, tear down the borders right now and let God be intimate with you. Just start off, if you haven't prayed a prayer before, say, God, come into my heart. Change me. Search me and know me. Come on, let them in today. God, I let you into my life today. I let you into my life today. I let you in, Jesus. Have your way. Come on, some of you, those who have not been being obedient, we're not going to call you out today. But you need to make a decision. You're going to be obedient to God. Come on, you've been wrestling with things, whether it's a bad habit, an addiction. Maybe it's been laziness. You've been putting God on the back burner. And you came here today to please a friend, to please a spouse. Listen to me right now. I plead with you. Make it right with God. Be obedient to His call on your life. It's not religion, friends. We're not here celebrating a religious philosophy. It's God. It's a presence. He's here. He's a person. And He's alive. Open your heart in obedience. Do what He asks. doesn't matter how crazy it sounds. He may say, get rid of stuff in your house. Throw it away. Get rid of relationships. Tell them that you got to have time away. Do whatever it takes. We're going to sing a song in closing as the band comes. Lilani's already singing it, so help her out, man. Get her microphone working. And if you want to pray, we're going to dismiss in just a moment, so don't go. But our habit here is to make just a time of prayer. You can stay where you are. You can kneel at these altars. But I want to tell you something. Don't remain where you are. Get to know Him more in these next few moments. It's the cry of His heart. When He created Adam and Eve and they sinned, they hid behind a bush. What did our God do? He came after them. He said, Adam, where are you? Come on, God wants you. He's coming to you. He's asking you, do you want to know me? Jesus, I want to know you. Jesus, I want to know you. Jesus, Take down the walls. We want to know you today. Our God is alive. He deserves it all. You deserve it all, holy God. You've been good to us, oh God.